you all please stand for the reading of the word? This is Matthew 26, 1 through 13. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. When he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, whatever the good news is, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. This is the word of God. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jim, for reading that. Good morning, people. Good morning. Um, let's actually just, I want to jump right in. Um, will you pray with me? God, this morning I think more than anything I pray for peace. And so I ask for bodies and minds and spirits that can experience peace right now. That can be present in this moment. Because there is, of course, so much that draws our attention to yesterday. Is she still mad? Did I say it right? Is she okay? Did the operation go well? And of course, there's a lot that draws our attention to the future. Will I have what I need? Will there be enough money? Is it going to be all right? Is Texas going to beat Miami later today? But God, I am truly convinced that where we encounter you can only be in the present and in the now. So draw us near to the present, to the now that we might experience you, because we need you. We need you and we want to hear from you. So with the meditations of our hearts, with the words of my mouth, be pleasing in your sight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So if you don't know... Maybe you don't, and it's fine if you don't, but we are in the middle of uh, this liturgical season we call Lent. And Lent is this time where we're trying to focus in and dial in with an intensified focus, really, on the life of Jesus. And so we start in the wilderness, where he's tempted for 40 days, and then it goes all the way through next week, which begins Holy Week, and sort of culminates in Good Friday and then um, Resurrection Sunday. So that's where we are, but, but we're sort of one week out from what will be the craziest, most intense, most topsy-turvy, up-and-down emotional week where there will be everything from joy and triumph to heart-wrenching defeat and agony and confusion. And so that's where we are. We're one week before all of that. And so this week we're going to be asking, and it's in the context of the week that is to come, why this story now? What is it about this kind of peculiar but cool story where there's a woman, there's some disciples, 
they're in Bethany, there's Jesus. What does this text say to us today, a week out from Holy Week, as we prepare for next week and the, the whirlwind that is next week? And particularly, who models a kind of posture, a kind of attunement? And attunement will be kind of the big word I'm going to stick with today, attunement, attunement. Who models the kind of attunement to God as we enter into next week? Who exhibits a faithfulness and an attentiveness that can prepare our hearts and our minds for next week? Y'all with me? So that's where we are this week in this story. And so we're at Simon's house. Simon, apparently, he is a leper, or he was a leper. Some scholars think that he's probably a healed leper who encountered Jesus, because otherwise they wouldn't have been at his house if he's still currently a leper. And there's some expensive perfume. There's some disciples. They get upset. My version says they get indignant. Interesting. There's an anointing that happens. It's called wasteful. Someone else calls it beautiful. There's Jesus who sees a woman. And there's a woman who sees Jesus. Friends, how can we have eyes that see? That's the question. How can we have eyes that see truly? How can we have spirits that are truly attuned to God's presence? Simon's house in Bethany, upset disciples, expensive perfume, an anointing. It's called wasteful. It's called beautiful. Jesus is there, and he sees a woman, and there's a woman who sees, and I mean truly sees, Jesus. So you probably see where I'm going with this, but let's just look at the disciples for a minute, okay? So what is it that they are seeing in this story? And the point here, really, I know it's tempting to, like, we can extrapolate, we can, we can point out people to bash on in the story, but we're not actually trying to bash them, and we're not trying to disparage them, but really, we're trying to find parts of their patterns that sort of mirror and show us our own patterns. So really, what is it that hinders or enables their capacity to see in this story? What hinders or enables their ability to be attuned to God? So picture this, that they've been following him for a few years now. So before Jesus called them, they were fishermen. They were zealots. Some of them were just blue-collar workers. Some of them had government jobs. Some were from small towns, some were from the city. They were ordinary guys. And not only has everything changed about their lives because of Jesus, but they've grown really to love Jesus. They've grown to love this God-man who they're following around. They've seen how he treats people. They see how he advocates for people in precarious situations. They've seen the way that he moves with compassion and can be moved with compassion. They were front row for the healing of the two blind men just a couple chapters ago. They watched with wide eyes as Jesus cleared the temple just a couple chapters ago. They watched stunned as the rich man walked away disappointed, as Daniel preached on. They remember how they were moved to tears at that first mountainside sermon that Jesus gave. Remember that in Matthew 5? So not only has everything changed for the disciples, but they love this guy. They love Jesus and have devoted their lives to him, and yet, here they are, reclining in some leper's house. When a woman walks in with an expensive jar of perfume, anoints Jesus' head, and they lose their marbles. <laughs> I almost said something else. They lose their marbles. They go bananas. 
What does it say? When the, when the disciples saw this, does it say they were curious? When the disciples saw this, they were moved. When the disciples saw this, they were honestly a little confused. No, it doesn't say any of those things. Does it say when the disciples saw this, they were grateful? When the disciples saw what the woman had done, they were inspired. When the disciples saw what the woman had done, they were humbled. Doesn't say that either. When the disciples saw what the woman had done to Jesus, they were, had a bunch of feelings, but they were intrigued. No. At the prospect, stay with me, at the prospect of maybe an unknown woman who was doing something they could not yet comprehend, they were moved not to curiosity, not to inspiration, not to humility, but to anger and judgment. Interesting. Interesting. Remember, we're not trying to bash them or disparage these disciples. They loved this God. And yet, this is their response. Why this waste? That's how they frame it. Why this waste? Why this excessive act? Why this lavish, irresponsible, misappropriated use of resources? I can hear them saying. Woman, don't you know what we could have done with this instead? The perfume could have been sold at a high price. The money could have been given to the poor. Don't you realize that our religious ethic dictates that we take things that are expensive and then we go sell them and then we go do the right thing? And there is, of course, one right thing. You know that, don't you? Woman, don't you know that there's just one right way to please God? Don't you know that this is just one right way to exhibit your faith? And it would have been to sell that perfume and give to the poor. And instead of doing that, actually, you, instead of consulting us, because, you know, we're like kind of the young boys crew and we're the inner circle. You could just come up in here unannounced, uninvited, and pour this extravagant perfume. And on and on and on and on. Right? Can you hear it? So what is it that the disciples are seeing in this moment? The only thing that the disciples can see in this precious moment is a wasteful woman. All the disciples can see is an excessive outpouring from an outsider. And some of you might be thinking, but Benjamin, wasn't it? There's technically a valid point in what they were bringing up, right? That technically, like, they're really, they could have sold that perfume and they could have done some good. Maybe it could have got housing for somebody who didn't have housing. They could have really actually given it and, and built something or done something, donated it to a good nonprofit, right? Isn't that, that's technically still a valid, good point. And it's like, yeah, it's a good point, except for the fact that it misses the main point. <laughs> it's the right moral gesture. It's technically the correct point. Except that what it completely disregards and fails to see is what is unfolding before their very eyes. Something Jesus says is what? Beautiful. Beautiful is what my translation says. A sacred and holy encounter of mutuality and reciprocity between Jesus and a woman. And how often, I'm, actually, I should, I'm just going to look, I'm not going to look at anybody because I don't want anyone to feel called out. But how often in our culture, especially in kind of progressive church culture, do we love to have correct analysis and correct language and say all the right things 
and have the perfect lingo and the right theoretical frameworks that suggest and gesture towards the one right moral thing that you can do in any given situation, and you miss the beautiful thing right in front of you. Does that resonate with anyone? I know it does for me. I felt called out when I read that part, that I feel just like the disciples, where something can happen and I can see it as either wasteful or, ah, I have a good critique of it. Ah, that's a little problematic because what I would have done and what it seems like the one right thing to do is this. And all that time I miss the beautiful, sacred encounter of mutuality happening right before my eyes. So what I want to share, this is one of the things I want to share this morning, is that it's not like, oh, look how blind the disciples are, or look how spiritually immature they are, but it is to point out how alarming it is and potentially how humbling it can be for us, if we're honest, about how these younger men have presumably been following the God of the universe around dusty old Jerusalem and Galilee for years, a couple years now, and they do not have the attunement or the attentiveness spiritually that enables them to really see what's happening in this sacred moment. And I, I just, I want to, that's probably a word for somebody where you are a disciple, you've been following for two, four, seven, 19 years, and you are earnestly chasing after God, and yet it seems you're not able to see the sacred in front of you or the beautiful thing happening. It's not that you're blind, but it is alarming and humbling, isn't it? And real quick, when I say the word attune, I, I did a little nerdy research. And the etymologists, the people who look at words, I guess, they tell us that actually, you know what that, they think that word came from? is another word we use in theological circles, which is atonement. And then there's this musical connotation to the word attunement, too, which I think is super cool, where attunement, if you think of the bass tune, it's about getting into harmony with. That is what attunement is, which is actually a little, if you know music, it's a little different than um, a melody where it's, there's, there's kind of one pitch, and pitch is dictated by the frequency of vibration. But anyway... Um, it's about harmony. And so that's what attunement is. It's getting into harmony with what's going on. So there's a woman, expensive perfume and anointing. The disciples see waste. And so their seeing is bound to religious habit, maybe. That's part of it. The disciples seeing, or lack of attunement, the inability to get into harmony with the situation, is perhaps also limited by a patriarchal habit, patriarchal reflexes, patriarchal instincts. Why this waste is their reflex. And then there's Jesus. Jesus is there too. We like Jesus. Jesus sees something else. He's in the same room as the disciples when she walks in unannounced and uninvited. And I just imagine the chit-chat and the banter and the laughter slowly tapers off as she walks behind them as they recline at the table. And see, at this point, the disciples are watching her, and Jesus is watching her too. 
And then he switches to seeing her. And he sees the look in her eyes that he's seen perhaps thousands of times, especially in the eyes of women. It is the look of fear mingling with a determined faith. It's the look of someone who knows that what she is about to do might cost her everything. It's the look of somebody who knows that as she walks into this room full of men, they might mangle and contort and distort her story. They might offer unwarranted comments about her body. They might say something that will make her feel unsafe. And yet Jesus also sees in this woman's eyes an unflinching courage and an unsteady and an immovable determination. A love in her eyes that will stop at nothing. And so I imagine Jesus is the recipient here. And it hits him. And this is why I think in verse 10 it says, aware of all of this, which is to say in my sanctified imagination, he's aware of all the dynamics all the limitations of the disciples, all the bravery, all the courage, all the fear inside this woman. And Jesus says, why are you bothering her? He reads the room, sees the situation, comprehends it, is attuned to the deeper, invisible dynamics. And what Jesus chooses to say is, you're freaking bothering her. Stop. She's done what? A beautiful thing. And so as the smell of perfume begins to emanate off of Jesus' forehead, his eyes are open to what is really happening. Jesus begins to see what the disciples are really unable to see. He begins to see that for the first time perhaps ever, he is being truly and fully seen by another human being. It hits him that this woman who is not even offered and afforded a name in the text, who comes uninvited to anoint him with perfume, is seeing him fully in a way that his closest buddies never do. And so River City, along with Jesus, in step with Jesus, we come to the realization that our faithful guide in this story and our model and our example of someone who is all the way locked in, attuned, in harmony, in spiritual step with who Jesus is and the journey that Jesus has to take is this woman. She sees Jesus not just for the miracle. She sees not just the kind and safe presence. She sees Jesus not just for his power, though he was powerful, nor for just his charisma, nor for his gentle soul. She sees him not just as the one who is causing a ruckus with the religious elite. She sees him for more than what he performs, and instead she is attuned to the complexity and to the nuance of it all, for all the contradiction and all the paradox that lives inside of this God-man, Jesus, she sees. And the entire story leading up to next week, remember, in in the context we're reading this, the first six verses, Jesus is trying over and over and over again to let everyone know, the journey I'm taking is not the one you think I'm taking. The journey I'm taking is not the one you would have wrote up. 
nor I would have rode up, really. It's the road to Golgotha. And it, and it leads to the cross. And it begins and kind of ends in crucifixion. Do you remember that back in, I think it's Matthew 16, where Jesus is trying to tell his disciples this, and they're like, no, no way. And Jesus responds, like, perhaps as strongly as Jesus ever responded. He says what to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. That's in response to Jesus trying to let his disciples know, this is the road I'm on. So they clearly, for all their love and devotion to Jesus, fail to see it. And yet she sees it. She's the only one. I'll put it this way. She's the only one. Really, find another story of someone who sees at this depth. She is the only one who sees the fullness of what Jesus is going through. She's the only one who truly sees what Jesus is up against. She's the only one who truly sees what the Messiah must face. And that's why, for this week, we focus really, yes, on Jesus, yes, on God, but really on this woman. A woman who sees God better than anyone else in all four gospel accounts. And to prepare for the winding and spiraling and plummeting spiritual journey that is next week, we gaze upon this story in which a faithful, brave, bold, prophetic, pastoral, priestly, she exhibits the priestly function here, if you really think about it. A priestly woman who has the spiritual capacity to see Jesus in a way he has never been seen before except by God the Father. That's profound. That's huge. And what's more, Jesus realizes this too. And I think we realize it if we've ever, have you ever had even just a glimpse or a brief moment where you experienced feeling fully seen? Right, the kind of, it's, it's kind of unexplainable, but the, the raw intimacy of it. You know, and, and, and finally, you, you get to the point also where you realize it's never a one-way one way movement, true intimacy. It's never a one-way movement. It's not like one person just opens up all this space and the other one just dumps out everything and reveals everything. That's partial, and that's beautiful too, but true, raw, mutual, reciprocal, being seen and seen. And so Jesus sees this woman as attuned to her, but then he also sees that she is seeing him. I, I know I'm, I'm kind of belaboring the point, but like sit with that for a sec. She walks in the room and Jesus sees her, and then it, it, he kind of, it seems like he sees her seeing him fully. And then they're both changed. They're both transformed. And because they're both attuned to the moment, I think she also, that, that's, that's the spiritual genius of it, is I think she then becomes attuned to the movement of it. You will never, ever, ever, I think this is maybe a steady rule, that you will never, ever be attuned and fully attentive to a broad movement if you are not ever attuned to the moment. I think, I think that's probably just true, where... You're never going to be able to sense and pick up on a broad move of things in a conceptual future sense if you're also not firmly rooted and present in the moment. And I think she exhibits this. And so I, I just, I wonder, I think there's probably some folks in here who are like the disciples, and I think most days I am too, who love God and who see God do miracles 
and yet seem to miss the sacred and beautiful thing happening in your midst. And there are some folks in here whose ability to see is limited by your patriarchal reflexes. Perhaps it is the woman in this story that throws you off. Or perhaps it seems that it's way too extravagant, way too lavish, way too wasteful. And I know there's some folks in here who can recite the correct answer like it's the back of your hand, as these disciples did. But I really just want to encourage you as we enter, as we sit this week, the week before the dawn of the wildest week, (laughs) sit with this woman, gaze upon the life and the story of this woman in in this passage. Trust me when I say that she really is our faithful guide. Really. She is our model for the spiritual journey, not just of the week leading up to next week, but I think for all of Lent. What is Lent but to learn to see, see rightly, see with an intensified focus and clarity? Who is Jesus? What is Jesus really about? What is the life he's living? Raw, unfacilitated, unfiltered intimacy. Radical mutuality, divine reciprocity. And so really, what I think this is so simple, but I think why we focus on this woman this week and what I'm trying to do is what Jesus, I think, ends this passage with, which is that to tell the good news story, the full cosmic meta-narrative of everything that's happening, everything that's going on, this woman's story is unavoidable. She is a, she is a pivotal stop along the way. To see the one who sees you. It's kind of more mystical language, but I like it. To hold the one who holds you. To anoint the one who anoints you. And so I just, if there is ever a time when all things in the cosmos is renewed and all things are made right, and I'm included in it, and you are too, I would love to find this woman. And I think, well, first I'll say, what is your name? What do you go by? And then if, if she does hugs, I'd love to give her a hug. But then I really would just love to say, you know, we did. We, we, we did due diligence and we spent some time not sidestepping your story, but gazing on it. And we spent a whole week reflecting in our own personal spiritual lives how you're a faithful God. And I have no idea how you had the courage to walk into that room full of men and do what you did. And how I'm just imagining, she probably went to the perfume shop or whatever, and she looked at the one sign, she's like, let me get that one on the top shelf. She takes out her money, and she gives all of it. It's still a little short, but he gives it to her anyway. And she walks right into that room, and she walks right to Jesus, seeing it all. The fullness of his identity, the fullness of the journey that he's going to take, the journey towards burial, and so she anoints him. And I just want to say, wow, you, your journey affected mine. Your ability to be attuned to the moment and so then also to the movement, that grounded and anchored my ability to be attuned to the Lenten journey this week and this year. You were, you were indispensable. You were invaluable. 
And now I'm glad I know your name and praise God for you. And so we honor you and we celebrate you this week. I know that was short, but that's really all I had to share. Amen. If you're able and you're feeling it, would you stand for the benediction? Whatever posture feels right to receive and to be sent into a week. Friends, church, beloved, go into this week in honor and in celebration and in reflection of this woman who is a faithful guide on how we might see rightly, how we might become attuned to the Spirit of God, to the presence of God, to the journey of God, to the journey that is to come. You be swept up in it. So go attuned. Go with ears to hear and eyes to see. In the name of the triune God. Amen.